Hey, hey, friends. Welcome to the first official episode of Forever But Not Always. I recorded these first two episodes nearly two years ago, but right around the same time, I also found out I was pregnant. So I decided to focus on mom life for a little while. My first guest had to be my favorite, Gabrielle Hartley. I'm so lucky she sat down to chat. With over two decades of experience as a leading attorney, mediator, and acclaimed author, Gabrielle Hartley is a true trailblazer in the realm of positive divorce. Her books, Better Apart and The Secret to Getting Along, are must-reads whether you are going through a divorce or just navigating conflict in your life. We chat about her Better Apart book and her views on mediation. I just adore her, so enjoy. Good morning, Gabrielle. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you as it always is. I am so excited that we're finally getting to chat. Um, I talk about you, I feel like, all the time. Every time I'm talking about mediation and alternatives to stay out of court, your name comes up. And so being able to spend some time with you um, today is really exciting for me. Oh, I always love to spend time with you. So thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I got introduced to you by reading your Better Apart book. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to writing this book and what really inspired you to put this together? Absolutely. So um, just to back up a little bit. So I've been a divorce attorney and mediator by the time I wrote the book for about, say, 20 years at that time. And I felt like the divorce process is so negative and froths up and creates so much chaos in people's lives that's not necessary. And there's so much fear um, that people have when they're going through the divorce. And I, I always kind of imagined how cool it would be to be able to put people together in a room and let them know that they're really not alone. And at the time, you know, there weren't all these divorce support groups. There, wa- there wasn't, you know, there weren't so many people working toward what I call like the positive divorce movement, you know, trying to right. turn the frown upside down. Um, it was really a lot of people in, the, in their silos being quiet and divorce was very much in the shadows and there's a lot of shame and stigma around it. And I wanted to really burst that free. Um, my why, like, why do I care? Why did I do it? it like, I wasn't thinking about business. Um, it was more like, I, I, when I grew up, my parents were divorced and I was nine and my brother was six and they decided they were gonna share custody. Now it was like 1979, shared custody was not like a thing back then. So we were this sort of high functioning divorce family. Everybody kind of got along and, it was really viewed as weird. And mm-hmm. my parents were kind of, um, they're almost braggy about how well they got along. And I did not experience it as so great all the time. You know, it was like, it, there was plenty of chaos. And it wasn't until I worked for um, a divorce court judge in New York City, where I started to resolve, um, I resolved hundreds of cases during my time there that I saw number one, how lucky I was, and number two, how um, the divorce process isn't where it needs to be. So um, so that's my long-winded answer for um, you know, why I wrote Better Apart. And, and my hope was that when people are going through the divorce, they can actually use Better Apart as almost like um, a source book, like whenever they're feeling crappy, to like open it to any page and get some quick, actionable 
tips of what they can do to slow down that um, emotional brain, engage that thinking brain and make better decisions that are going to serve them and their family. Yeah, and what I, what I loved so much about it from an attorney mediator position too was seeing the the non-legal um, approaches and the different therapeutic ways that people can really take control of their divorce. Um, is there anything specifically that you find was helpful, not just for the divorce process and, and writing the book as you discovered these different therapeutic processes that you actually implemented with your clients even before kind of preparing for this book, anything that you really drew that you thought was oh, this is working for my clients. This needs to be talked about. Yeah, so, um, and I don't think I talk about it exactly squarely in the book in a particular mm -hmm. section, but the whole concept of getting to the why, like acknowledging feelings, that is the most important thing. You know, Chelsea, when, when I worked for Judge Sunshine, um, I was really young, you know, I was like just about 30 and um, I noticed that, so, so the way the job worked is, I'd go in a back room, it'd be the two lawyers, the two people, they're like right on the brink of trial, right? They're incredibly um, antagonistic. Everybody's like all set to go. They're wasting all their money on fighting and they're stuck on some position. And it was almost dumb luck that I realized that once somebody cried, the case would come together because when they cried, it was like a release. They were feeling heard for the first time maybe. And so, you know, I would say things that I don't know if I'd even say them now because I'm so much older and maybe a, a little bit more sensitive, maybe a little, but I would say, you know, it sounds like, it feels like your whole life was a lie, which is something that people feel, but don't say or don't admit to themselves. Right. And I cannot tell you how many people have felt like that. And then when they um, acknowledge it and they feel seen by the mediator, heard maybe by the lawyers, um, they can release it. And suddenly like that Sunday overnight is not as important anymore. The, you know, keeping all the furniture, like just the problems melt away. Um, we're often, often fighting about the wrong things, right? We yeah. are fighting about the what instead of hearing the why. So I think that, um, that's something I sort of learned on the job long before I wrote Better Apart. Um, also, the fact that a step back is a great way forward is really true. And that doesn't mean that you have to get into all the weeds and like reassess like the way, you, well, his mother did that. Like you don't need to go back to like when you're each 10 years old, but just like again, taking stock, what are your needs? What's going on? And when you get that, everything really falls in place. So if you're listening, um, if you're a listener and you are embarking on a divorce and you just feel like, oh, there's no point to go into mediation. I have to go to court, you know, just stop and ask yourself, you know, what else is going on? Do I need stability? Do I think my soon-to-be ex needs security. Do I need more a sense of respect? Like, what is the driver underneath the driver that you're aware of? Mm -hmm. And when you know what the other person's driver is, and you can give it to them, you'll get more than you want. That more, you will get more of what you want when you give them more of what they need. Yeah, and and I really love 
kind of how you ended there is that is one thing that I think is so difficult for people going through divorces, separating the fact that you can have all these emotions and you can feel this way. And it's actually good to say all of those things, get it out, express yourself because you're helping the other person understand. Um, now, not everybody's capable of understanding in the same way, but if you have the right mediator there, they're going to point it out in a way that maybe that person can understand. So I, I absolutely believe that expression is so necessary. Yeah. And understanding, and then taking that understanding and trying to figure out what else can I give that person to satisfy that need? Right. Because like I was doing a mediation earlier this morning and, you know, it's the classic conversation. Everybody wants to stay in the house. We're not sure who can afford the house, you know? And so, you know, the way we look at it is like, you know, buy, sell, you know, either we're going to buy each other out or sell, but there's so many other alternatives that, you know, there, there, it doesn't have to just be one way. It may be that the person who gets to stay, um, you know, has to pay a premium for the buyout. Or if the person who gets to stay because they're agreeing, to stay in a school district for 10 years and then they decide in year seven to move, maybe there's a clause in there that says if they should move before the youngest child has completed 12th grade or whatever it is, eighth grade, um, then the, the person who moved out gets like a sweetheart clause where they get a bunch of cash that they otherwise wouldn't have been entitled to. There's, there's more than one ways to address things. You just really have to like think about how you can be creative to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I find myself saying all the time without necessarily trying to is talking about this positive divorce movement, right? Which you are the founder of. I say that there is movement to, to a positive divorce. I say there is this positive divorce movement all the time with clients and other people because I'm starting to see it with the conversation. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the positive divorce movement and what it really means to you and what you're seeing um, talking about this um, okay. as you progress. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so the positive divorce movement was started because there's sort of a global sense of shame and stigma around breakups of long-term relationships. And for me, it's not just about not being able to talk about this thing that half of all of us go through or are close to somebody who is going through or has gone through. We, there's trickle down, there's like a legacy that the divorce leaves, right? So if you are feeling less than, if you're feeling a sense of shame or stigma because of your divorce and you have children and they're being raised by someone who feels bad about themselves, they're more likely to feel less than, right? It's like, it's like if you're, um, the survivor of a trauma, your kid is going to have some of the aftermath of what you haven't shed. And so I just thought, I mean, I didn't really think about it, Chelsea, to be honest, but like maybe I was trying to shed my own aftermath from growing up with my own parents' divorce. And, you know, I had a boyfriend who used to talk about his family and he would preface it by saying, it's different, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's different. Like, you know, and I always felt like, are you saying it's better? You know, that's what, that's yeah. how I read it. And it was really irritating to me. Mm -hmm. And, and my parents, again, they had a great divorce, like not perfect. Not like it was, you know, everybody always got along. There was plenty of right. 
dysfunction. <laughs> it was plenty of dysfunction, but it was still fine, you know? And my, my brother and I went on to be normal people with stable relationships and jobs. And we're very close to, with our step or bonus sister, you know, who's our age. And, um, and then I had, I had a stepbrother who my, my dad divorced his next wife, but I'm still, um, very care very much for him and close to him. So, I mean, I just feel like the whole concept of the positive divorce movement is all about feeling good in our imperfect lives. Cause that's what we all have anyway. Like, let, I right. mean, you're a divorce lawyer, you know, this as well as I do, like sitting across the room with people <clears throat> day in, day out for years and years. And it doesn't matter how rich they are, how poor they are, how, you know, what they look like, what car they drive. People make messes, enter messes, are in messes of all different kinds. And if you're in your own mess, you're not alone. It's okay. And that, that's the whole point of the positive divorce movement. It's really a movement toward the sense of feeling good enough. But I didn't mm. want to call it the, the neutral divorce movement. Where, where I see the, the positive divorce movement going is there's just, there's a lot of traction now. Back when I started practicing in 1995, the, um, the idea of positive and divorce really did not go together. It did in my mind, mm -hmm. but that was viewed as very strange. Even in the early 2000s, I think it was still viewed as pretty strange. It's only really in the last five or six years, I think largely because of, you know, certain professionals like Susan Guthrie, like me, like Laura Wasser, you know, who have varied backgrounds in the divorce arena. Um, we realize what a mess it is. Like Laura has had several really good breakups, right? And so she goes very publicly and talks about them. And, you know, she's a celebrity divorce attorney. And I think that's been really helpful. And Susan has um, the Divorce and Beyond podcast and she trains people. And I have the Better Apart blog and I have the Better Apart book. And I'm constantly, you know, going on podcasts and putting it out there. And then there's a lot of younger lawyers who are starting to do the same kind of thing, right? And so I feel like, now I'm gonna really date myself, there used to be like a um, Fabergé nature organic shampoo commercial way back when where um, it would say, and she told two friends and so on and so on. And the TV screen would start with like um, one woman and her friend, right? And then it would like um, be four women and eight women and it just mm -hmm. kept on. And then by the end of the commercial, the entire screen was tiny little boxes. And I think of yeah. the deposited divorce movement like that. Like we're just growing, growing, growing. There's more and more people who think they can get along, who, where the narrative isn't all about what a jerk their ex is. Yeah. And, and, and I'm actually discovering that through participating in a lot of these different trainings through um, just engaging with people through Instagram and, and podcasts and, and seeing that um, not just the people and the listeners who are going through the divorce who are, are just looking for that reassurance or information about their experience, right? There's all these divorce professionals that are jumping on board and listening and don't want to be in that litigation mode. They're seeing it. They want to live their lives just the same and they want to help people going through divorce to see the big picture because now we're in a place where people in their 
uh, you know, thirties are getting divorced. These are millennials, right? These are people who right. have seen the big picture about, Hey, I don't want to go through what my parents went through where they were litigating right. their divorce for right. years. It and- is, it's so stupid. And so, and, and right. And so I think, um, I think that that generation, your generation is like ready for this. Whereas, um, you know, remember divorce only became commonplace in the seventies and eighties. Right. So, and it was treated the same way as like a car accident. It's just like a regular court case, but so inappropriate for most cases. Now, I just have to say, you know, I am of counsel to a major New York City litigation firm for a reason, right? Like there are, there are people that you can't mediate with. So, so for anyone who doesn't know, mediation means that you're sitting with a third party, neutral, impartial person who's going to help you sort through your differences and arrive at an agreement. And depending on how your mediator is trained and how experienced they are, um, they may give you some advice versus just letting you arrive at something. And, you know, remember, if your mediator has, you know, 3,000 divorces under their belt, mediations, they're going to have some more ideas than someone going through their first divorce. So, you know, you, you know, you want to find a mediator who is going to let you come up with your own solution, but also is going to give you some really good counsel. That's in my opinion. There's other mediators who um, feel very strictly like you just have to come up with everything on your own. So, you know, definitely you don't just go with the first mediator, find out what their approach is, what their style is. Also, if you have a spouse who is is just impossible to deal with. Like they won't give you financial disclosure. They, you know, they don't call you back. They don't follow through on things. They, you know, they're difficult in any set of ways. You might have to go to court. And I have a whole section about that in Better Apart because you can't decide it's going to be a sunny day. Yeah. I mean, we see that a lot where clients come in and, um, they are wanting to mediate and they really want to stay in the court. They're looking like, I don't want to spend a bunch of money, but once they sit at the table, it's really not the case, right? They really don't want to mediate. They just want to attack and blame. Um, And I find that, you know, with the right strategy, the right touch, sometimes you can turn those cases around, right. And help even, you know, difficult cases. But there are some people I think that just have this headspace about, what divorce should be like and what they're entitled to and what's fair and um, entitled and fair are like my least favorite words. Every time they come up. Oh, in me too. Every time they come up in mediation, I'm like, well, let's, let's separate those, those words because those mean different things to different people. Um, and so what we're really talking about is the choice of two parties deciding that they don't want some stranger um, that's just going to look at the law and just going to apply facts. You know, do you really want that person to be making decisions about your life, y- your finances, your kids, or do you want to be able to come up with those, um, with those agreements yourself, regardless of whether the law applies? And some people think, well, shouldn't the law apply regardless whether I'm in mediation or not? And it's like, well, how do you want it to apply? But it doesn't have to. Um, and so one thing I always struggle with in my particular area, I'm in Northern California. Um, while there's lots of family law attorneys, not a lot of people are really talking about mediation. There's only a handful of mediation firms, or there's a couple mediators who are either retired litigators and are kind of doing it to wind down. But 
from our point of view, we've been, our firm's only been open for three years. We want that to be our message. We want that to be our brand. So when it comes to messaging, how do you think the messaging is really changing over the last couple of years in order to get the message out to people who are going through divorce, that mediation really can be your first choice? Yeah, and and you 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 brought up a lot of really good points, uh, Chelsea. Just now, um, I just want to go back to one thing you said. Like the, the judge who I used to work for, he used to he sat on the bench and he kept saying, "You don't want this stranger in black robes deciding your life, right?" So, so the reason you know I'm the co-chair of the American Bar Association Mediation Committee, and the reason that I took that position is because. You know, I feel that we mediators all have a lot of work ahead of us to establish the credibility within the legal field because mediators are not as respected, unfortunately, by our legal um, peers often. They, they sort of look down on mediation and that's just the truth. And, and I will say that, um, I'll say that when I worked for the judge and I was reviewing, you know, hundreds of divorces and also in private practice, when I was reviewing many, many divorces, um, a lot of times mediation agreements are missing important terms. They can tend to be um, filled with precatory or wishful thinking kind of language. they can have a lot of agreements to agree. Agreements to agree are not enforceable, right? So we really want to make sure that when we have, when we go to a mediator, that that the agreement is really detailed. It's really careful. Like if you work with me as your mediator and you don't live in my state, especially, I leave you with a very detailed memorandum of understanding that you then bring to your counsel, who may be a litigation counsel, who's been looped into this entire process so that they don't upend the agreement at the 11th hour, right? Like the way I work is always, when possible, looping in that attorney and keeping them as part, keeping that attorney as part of the the conversation. And then you get an agreement that is really airtight, right? Um, and then I think that the more that mediators take the time either to write really careful agreements or to seek to find other people to write those agreements, I think the more respect they're going to have and the more people are going to use them because with sloppy agreements, it's just like, there's no credibility. That's kind of my selling point anyway for, for, for my clients is I'm an active litigator right now. Now it's not necessarily what I want to do forever. I don't picture myself but it's helping me learn everything I feel like I need to learn right now to make myself a stronger mediator in the future. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. I think, um, and I think, as I was saying in the beginning, there's different kinds of mediators and there's different kinds of lawyers. Mm-hmm. I happen to um, feel like mediation happens with it, uh, you know, under the umbrella of the law, um, you know, in the shadow of the law. And, and so like you, you know, I like people to have lawyers. Now, um, if let's say someone comes to me and they're in my local area and I know the law here really, really well, Mm. I still like them to have lawyers because a lot of the laws are so um, fact-based 
and they can be looked at different ways. And so I have to be careful when I'm the mediator not to interpret the law in the way that I think is fair based on my opinion. So it's like a really fine line. And so even though it's a little bit more work and it's a little bit more money when there are the resources, I prefer to have the lawyers involved right from the beginning. Now, sometimes you get cases that, you know, people really don't want lawyers. Um, and in those cases, you know, it is good, in my opinion, just like yours, to kind of know what the law is. And that is a really good selling point for a whole set of people. So, yeah, and I definitely agree. Having trained with a couple of different mediators, seeing that there's all sorts of different approaches and there's really no one right way. There's some that do kind of what you were saying, where um, the parties really are the only ones coming up with any of the options. And I've tried that approach where I'm kind of taking a step back and asking questions and letting them come up with it. And it's all of a sudden an hour later, they're really not getting anywhere. And I know in the back of my head, there's five or six options that I don't have to necessarily push out there as the best options, but could help add to the mix right, exactly. because of my experience. And so, you know, even after doing, you know, my, the most recent training I just completed, I was, I really wanted to challenge myself and try different things. And then you're realizing that you still have to be yourself and, and find what works for each case and works for you as a mediator. So I think what you said before is I always encourage people, even when they call me, call a couple, call a couple mediators. I'm not right. for everybody. I might be, you know, my approach might not be what you want. And the other mediator might not, might be a little bit more hands-off and you want that guidance. Um, and so I think that, especially as mediation tends to grow, that's the number one thing that I'm kind of seeing is the different styles and what works for each client. And I think as we continue to see mediators pop right. up or uh, attorneys, you know, transition, we're going to have all sorts of different styles and it's going to make for better experiences for the different clients that are going through these divorces because they're different families. That's to begin right. With. And like, even like for effective problem solving, you know, some people when, if they're, you know, vetting you, they might say, okay, well, you know, how do you organize what you're going to talk about in each session, right? Like, because some mediators say, okay, session one is on custody. Session two is on property. You know, I personally look at it as a really organic experience, your family. And so we're going to, on our first session, we sort of go through everything on our second session. You know, the first thing I'm going to say is what's going on right now, right? Because people try to get right. through their week when they're living in hell, right? Totally. And, you know, I, I'm finding that the more, the more case mediation cases I complete and the more successful mediations that come to a close, um, when it comes to mediation, it's really about what do these clients need? What do they need to hear? Right. What do they need to hear from the other person? Do they need, and, and one of the things that um, you said earlier that I, I always find to be a re recurring theme with some of these other mediators or mediation professionals that I've been talking to is um, making sure that other person feels heard. And it doesn't matter that you're validating or agreeing with them, right? It's that I hear, this right. is what I'm hearing. Is that, you know, like, is that correct? Or am I missing something? Right. And you, and you might have to practice saying that. And, and like, if you're listening to this and you're like, why? Why are you talking about mediation so much? Like a lot of these skills, you can use it in your own life, like actively listening. We all hear about active listening, but just saying, wait, did I get that right? Just literally 
restating what the person just said, not in a questioning way. So you're saying this because that can feel confrontational, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's how people usually do it, right? It's like, uh, so yeah. what did you just say? And it's more about, you know, if, if you can clarify, then you can understand where they're coming from, whether or not you agree. I think some people think in mediation, you have to right. agree on everything. And it's yeah. really not about that. The agreement is like the last thing we're actually going for. The discussion is what you're going for. And that's where you start realizing that the parties sometimes are more are, are closer to a resolution on their own than they even realize. That's right. And like, you know, I, I love the expression, you know, we're only as sick as our secrets, right? Um, I think that applies. Think about that. I, that applies to like every part of your life, like with everybody and everything. And in mediation, it, it's true, you know, let's say you're thinking you're going to relocate. Okay, so you might decide you're not going to bring that up now for a strategic reason, but most of the time it's best to just address these things so there's mechanisms so that they work out more smoothly later on, right? Yeah, and I always talk about what tools, right? What tools can I give my mediation clients or even my litigation clients that are going through a divorce? What tools do I feel like I can provide that are separate from the legal guidance? Because I think that so much, so much of the time they're saying, oh, this is my lawyer. They're, they're going to tell me what the law is and they're going to tell me what to fight for. Um, and from my perspective, I always say, well, what can I provide you to get you through this process? I can tell you what the law says and I can give you some options for how we can accomplish certain goals, but really what do you need to get to the end, right? What do we need right. to get you through? Right. Um, and everybody has a different approach. Oh, one thing you had asked me before about um, tools that I give people is I mm -hmm. have forever is been talking about um, breathing and mm -hmm. um, the, the uh, secretary who used to work with me and the judge way back in, um, she just wrote something on my Facebook, like, are you showing your kids how to do sun salutations? Which is like funny because they're teenagers now and they're not going to do that with me. But um, yeah, you know, just telling people to, or inviting them to start integrating like a breathing practice into their life, not in like a weird, annoying preachy, like you, you have to do this, but just like when you're feeling really wound up, you just like close your eyes, take a couple of deep breaths in and out through your nose um, a couple of times a day. Then when you're feeling agitated, just remind yourself, oh, I'll do the breathing right now because the breathing really slows you down and um, it, it can be really magical. I'm like the most impatient person and, mm -hmm. you know, just breathing and having like a couple of positive affirmations um, is really good. I'm really patient with people when they're getting divorced. That's always like, I think I get really sucked into the story and I'm, I get into problem solving mode really quickly. That's just like the way my brain works. But when it comes mm -hmm. to my own life, it could be a whole different thing, right? And so how do, how do I practice what I preach, right? I have to slow down because I'm just like, ah, ah, ah. you know, I have to be like, okay, I'm gonna take that step back. I'm gonna be responsive rather than reactive. When I act reactive, I'm going to acknowledge that I did that and, you know, own it and keep going forward and just, you know, just try to always be your best self. And that's really the best way through your divorce too, is to be your best self. If you get dragged into the mud, even though you're trying to be your best self, it's going to feel a lot less bad um, when you've been kind and strong. Let's, I'm not suggesting that anybody should 
allow themselves to be taken advantage of. Absolutely not. Right. right? Like, I mean, I, when I was, when I was working as an advocate, I would push things to the absolute limit, but I, I would, I was really clear about encouraging my clients to always pick their battles rather yeah. than because lawyers make money by the rabbit holes, right? right? Like something comes up and you're like, oh, let's file, let's write a letter. You know, that's how everything's billed by the hour, right? So if you have a lawyer who is not crazy busy and they have staff, they'll have the staff, okay, write a letter to their lawyer, have their, you know, write this, write this. And suddenly your bill is $12,000 when it could have been three. Yeah. And it happens quicker than people think, right? Especially at the outset when they're not quite used to what the attorney's fees look like and how quickly it can add up. But right. one thing I try to remind my clients is let's brainstorm our options, right? How, what, how, what different approaches can we take? Do we need to respond to this or is right. it something that can be just left behind? Is it, is it, is whatever we're dealing with right now more rhetorical than, than anything? Cause half the time, you know, in divorce, a lot, it, there's a lot of attacks, but there's nothing that really needs to be responded to. Or is this serious enough where we need to address it and possibly get involved in court? Is there some kind of serious emergency issue? Um, and I think that I, I try not to hone in on attorney's fees too much when I'm going through a case with a, a client where I'm constantly talking about how much they're spending or, or anything like that. But I do point out the big picture and saying, look, this course of action is going to cost a lot and we're going to go in front of a judge who I don't think is actually going to accomplish your goal. So while I'm prepared to do this for you, if we need to, can we explore another option for your family? I think so many people, once they get stuck in that litigation cycle, it's so hard for them to get out. And um, more and more, I think clients are surprised when even in the middle of a mediation, I'm pushing or a, a middle of a, a litigation, I'm pushing to get them out and say, can we convince the other attorney essentially to convince their client to get us, get, get you to in mediation with somebody um, and take the lawyers out of it for a little bit. And sometimes I find that that's successful. Sometimes the battle is really getting the, these litigation attorneys to want to step back from cases. Have you seen that kind of evolve? Um, at least in your experience, not only as an advocate, but as a mediator. And, and can you give us some of your thoughts? Because that's where I struggle the most. Yeah, I mean, like, look, there's a world of people who are going to be litigators. That's what they want to do. You're not going to change them. I'm not going to change them. And there's a, a world of people who want to litigate. And that's okay, right? Yeah. Litigation has its place. It's not a problem. But um if you want, if you're a, a new mediator or if you're considering to become a mediator, my advice is to go ahead and hang that mediation shingle and become the best mediator that you can be. Like learn what the local laws are if you are a lawyer mediator. If you're a, not a lawyer mediator, at least know what all the issues are. Make sure the parties go to lawyers and just you know, let your mediation light shine because people are going to find you. So I don't feel like it's changing for everybody. No, I think there's a lot of people who are divorce professionals who enjoy the fight, who enjoy stirring the pot, who like to create drama, or if they don't like it, they just do it. It's like part of what they do. They make a lot of money. They almost think it's funny. They view it like 
oh, you know, my clients are causing their own problems. They can't get out of their own way. I mean, you know what the divorce lawyers say. You've been a divorce lawyer for long enough. Um, and, you know, if you are someone going through a divorce, I'm just going to say, invite you to steer clear. You know, again, if you have to go that way, so be it. But most of the time, it doesn't have to be that way. And just have the confidence to know that you can still have a really good agreement. Um, like the way I work with my clients is first I have them come in. We do a two-hour meeting. At the end of that first meeting, they have so many questions. Then I send them to the lawyer rather than first mm -hmm. going to the lawyer and then going to the mediator. And then they come back and they're coming back with a place where they have knowledge, you know, where they're armed with information. So I find that really useful. Yeah, I think that's great. And especially because I think we talked about it briefly about, you know, the different types of mediators that they're out are, that are out there, the different styles. Even when somebody calls me for either litigation or divorce coaching, I do the same thing. I don't try to sell them. I think sometimes that can be an attorney mindset, like let's get this client retained and get them going, you know, after this initial right. meeting. Um, I actually tell them, please go call a couple names. If you need some more names of some people, you know, um, of who you'd like to speak with that are different than me, similar to me, because I'm not for everybody in the same way. I'm not for everybody in mediation. As a litigator, I am very expectation-based. I, I do want to try to find a way to use court only when absolutely necessary, even if I'm in that full representation posi uh, position. And I think some clients get surprised by that when they call and they're like- Some people don't you're, like that. They're like, you're trying, you're trying to push me out. And I said, no, I just wanna make sure you have all options available. Call us when you're ready, I'm here. We're able to take off your, your take on your case. Um, but you know, I always encourage shopping around or they'll tell me like, oh, I have a couple more meetings and I go, oh, great. You know, like, I love that right. because I think they're going to make a better choice for them. Um, and I also think the other thing that people don't realize is attorneys get to make the choice too, right? There's all sorts of clients out there um, who get this mindset that they want to attack or blame or fight. Um, and I'm not necessarily the attorney for those people. And I'm going to get them right. to somebody that I think is a better fit. Because at the end of the day, I, I, I don't want just every client. I want the right clients for me. And I want that client to feel like they are with their right lawyer. Um, and so having those conversations, I think, is 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 really good for the divorce um, kind of industry in general, because I think it's making us all better. I, I feel like I'm getting better when I get referrals from other attorneys and they're like, this case wasn't for me, but it's definitely for you. And I go, great. And then you realize that we're all, we're, we're starting to support one another and see how different we are. Now that's not the case for everybody, but I have some great colleagues in the area that I feel like we know what value we can each bring to cases. Yeah, I think it's it's a day by day process. I think the the positive divorce movement is, you know, it's for all of us. It's for the lawyers. It's for the mediators. It's for the certified divorce financial analysts. It's for the people getting divorced, and most importantly, it's for the children. Yeah, which I think is a, an easy thing for people to forget, even when they're fighting over money. You know, if the kids are still involved and the divorce is still going on, there's still a consideration. And and I'm just gonna say that even if you know, sometimes people will come to me and they're just thinking so much about the children that they're not thinking about themselves enough. Mm -hmm. So just to turn that around, your kids are going to be happy when you're happy most of the time. It trickles both ways. Like you have to put your kids first and you also have to put, not if you're happy at, at the detriment of their wellness, right? But like right. if you're making wholehearted decisions, right? Like, you know, you decide to keep the house. Well, you're decided to keep the house because you're deciding, not because you're being stuck with it, right? Like you right. always have options. So just remember, 
um, you know, I do a lot of divorce coaching, um, which is not legal, just talking about like making the best choices that support your wellness as you move mm. through beyond your divorce. So, yeah, some of my divorce coaching and consulting based cases are my favorite because they're doing the divorce themselves. They're either they're in mediation and I'm kind of in the background or they're doing the divorce themselves and working together. Um, but they feel that they have the confidence. They have some of the legal advocacy and knowledge, but they also have the perspective of what other options I have. And so those are some of my favorite cases as well. That's great. I love hearing about your work, Chelsea. It's so <laughs> You are a very um, dynamic person. Oh, well, thank you so much. I feel so um, inspired every time we talk. We have so much fun. Um, the, the thing I say the most about you as your mediation style, which is what I feel I'm so much attracted to, um, is you're so relatable, right? Is you don't have this, um, you know, this hat on where people feel intimidated because you're in this role. You're, you're there as part of this conversation. And every time I talk to you, I get that, right? You're, you're here just to share and, ch and talk and build everybody else up. Um, and it's very apparent. And I can tell through your mediation style that, that, that your clients just have to benefit from having a very relatable person on the other side, guiding them through their divorce. So I think that's a huge value. Well, thank you so much. I know it's funny. Sometimes I feel like I should be more um, authoritative, but it's just not, you know, <laughs> you know, you are who you are. Right. And so, I mean, I just, I feel really passionate about the idea of, you know, if you're meant to be a part, you can be better apart. That's why better part is called better part. Doesn't mean you have to have a war. You can still get along and, um, you know, that's going to be the next book. So, <laughs> yeah. So that goes to my final question. Gabrielle, you have anything coming up that you want to share? Anything that you wanted to promote for other people that are going on that you think is important? Um, I would just say, you know, go check out the Better Apart blog. Go to gabriellehartley.com and, um, and see what's going on there. If you're going through a divorce, um, every week I have different wellness, divorce professionals. You know, you can learn all about um, everything from nutrition to you know, sobriety tests to different ways to get divorced, hear people's personal stories and get your own uh, thrive and survive guide. If you just go to gabriellehartley.com and sign up for the newsletter, it'll come to your inbox or you can just check out the blog um, by clicking the Better Apart blog. Um, and I do have some exciting um, things coming out, but I am not um, at liberty to talk about them just yet. So if you, um, you know, check out the newsletter, everything will come into the inbox, but just know that um, the best way forward is with a giant step back and just do the best you can because that's all any of us can ever do. Well, Gabrielle, thank you so much for your time today. It was so much fun and I look forward to chatting again. Likewise, thank you so much.